right, welcome back to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. And on this episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast, I cannot talk about this album without my uh, my co-host. Say hello, Monster. Hello, everybody. Good morning. So today we're going to be talking an album that uh, Monster decided to bring to me, and it's from Zeros nineteen or what? What year did it come out? May 15th, 2001, From Zero's album, One Nation Under. Okay, it was kind of strange because I found 1999 and 2001 as release dates for it, which I thought was strange that I found two different. But yes, we're talking From Zero's One Nation Under. So, Monster, why did you bring this to me today? Why are we talking about this? I'm going to go ahead and tell you I had no knowledge of this (laughs) band ever before. Most people don't. So this is one of those finds I've, I've kind of told some of these stories before me and danger grew up in the same kind of area for the most part in North Carolina around Greensboro. And there was a couple of little record stores, the record exchange, BB's a couple other little places. And I used to spend hours combing through the used bins, just seeing if anything looked cool. And this is one of those ones that I picked up. It was probably $3, $4 in the used bin. Never heard of it. It looked weird. The cover is very strange. It has a it is little boy shirtless all over it. The back, you can kind of see some of the guys in the band, and they look kind of weird. They're so all like, like a projector, like projected on the wall next to... Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. yeah right. And so I was like, you know, it was probably, like I said, $3, $4. I was like, this looks like something I might like, so I'll get it. And... Loved it. When I was a kid, this was like my jam for sure. And I remember me and some buddies, because I used to like to be the guy that was like, hey, check out this band. Hey, check out this band. You like this? You'll like this band. So, and I remember showing this to a lot of my friends and a couple of my buddies, I was telling them I was going to do an episode on this. And specifically, my buddy Roger was like, oh man, I can't wait to hear that. I love that album, you know. But as we've also talked about before, every time you have a popular genre, you have record labels that try to buy up anything that kind of fits the bill. Mm -hmm. So if at this time, 2001, you already had bands like Limp Bizkit, Korn, Linkin Park, they were already very well established. So now you had the B tier, the C tier bands that start getting signed up. And From Zero is definitely one of those B tier, C tier bands but I think there's something a little bit special about them, and that's kind of why I wanted to to talk about it. Okay, I'm going to need you to tell me why this band is not in the D tier, because <laughs> this album was boring, man. I, I struggled with this one. I'm just going to go ahead I, and, and show no. all my cards, my hand, everything out front. This one so, wasn't for me. This is the first time on this show that we are going to start arguing this early. No, no, I I don't even know how to respond to that. I would call this several things, but boring is probably not one of them. I get that it is, there's a reason this is not A tier, for sure. There's a reason that these guys did not break into the mainstream. But I think it has less to do with the music and more to do with the marketing. Okay. Because these dudes are goofy looking. And Mm -hmm. the music itself is not that wacky. And I think that's the problem. We've talked about this on other episodes where bands kind of walk this line between being kind of crazy and outlandish or being kind of subtle and more serious. And 
From Zero is one of those bands that kind of bounces back and forth, but like musically, it's more serious. And then aesthetically, it's a little more wacky. And I think that kind of hurt when it came time to like make a music video, which they have one video for this album. Did you watch it? No. It's literally the band. It, it, it looks like an orgy music video more than a something like this. It's very 2001 special effects in the background. And the band is performing on like a weird spaceship thing. I, I would encourage people to at least look up what the lead singer looks like. His name is Jet. And he has like eight inch tall red spikes on his hair. 25 facial piercings I, I mean it's just ridiculous and when you hear his vocal delivery it doesn't really match with that level of again wackiness you know but what what elaborate a little bit on the boring side because we'll get into the tracks here in a minute what what's boring okay so to talk about the music video i did not watch the music video but if there was something I could, a, a way I could describe the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s aesthetic as far as this kind of stuff went. And it doesn't, it wasn't just for this music. It was everywhere. I mean, even Star Trek Deep Space Nine had the same aesthetic. And it's the way that I've described it in the past, and I will continue to do so, is Sparks and Chains in Space. That is the music video. Yep. You directed the music video. <laughs> no, I just guessed. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> it, that, that is the music video. Yeah. It's sparks and chains in space. Sometimes there's gears. You know, it's just what it is. So, why did I find this album boring? Okay. It is very obvious that this band, the uh, vocalist, the uh, every part of the band, it's, it's obvious that they all have a talent. But it's th this album comes across as some guys that were making music that were playing shows, and like you were talking about, when a genre you know has a has a spike, has a peak, record labels buy them up. You know, I was actually just watching a documentary on uh, '80s hair metal, and they were talking about how it was not hard to get a record contract. It was you were you know uh, you had a one in ten shot at getting a record contract. You had a one in a million chance of making it big, you know? Yep. And I kind of feel like that's every time a genre blows up, you kind of have that same thing. But this was a group of guys that were playing shows and got snatched up and got excited and said, hey, we're going to make an album that we're going to try to sound like other people. And I don't feel like they did much here to sound like themselves. They own their chops to an extent, but not to their fullest. You know, they each had something within each of them, but they didn't do anything that really stood out to me. And quite frankly, the unclean vocals and the bridge of every song ruined every song to me. And, and I will say his vocals are definitely a hit or miss for a lot of people because at this time, especially 2001, pretty much every band in this new metal adjacent genre, whatever was mostly rap or mostly screaming. Yep. And there's a ton of clean vocal on here and a lot of vocal layering and harmonizing. Yes. He's really a, a good singer, but 
his tone is a little bit unique and it's a little bit nasally for how aggressive the music tends to get. As we've talked about on previous episodes, I like that. That's kind of in my wheelhouse, but I know that's not for everybody. I have no Um, problem with it if it fits. I mean, one of my favorite bands is Smashing Pumpkins and Billy Corgan's the nasliest of nasally. True. But but the part that I kind of disagree with is I feel like this is fairly unique because musically it's kind of, it's hard to explain. It has a lot of the same elements as Linkin Park is the one that I hear the most of because there is a lot of bleeps and bloops mixed in with the music on here. But it doesn't sound like Linkin Park. It has, you know, where Linkin Park is a little bit more structured and kind of a more of a slow groove. These guys are a little bit frantic sounding. Their songs, especially just like at the front of the album, the first couple songs really like punch in kind of fast. And I like that. Like to me, that that's kind of part of what sets them apart is the way that the, the songs are a little bit all over the place. So I will say the intros on a lot of the songs are great. I don't have a problem with the intros. And by the intro, I mean like 10 seconds is it (laughs) after 10 seconds. It's like the song starts to go downhill for me, especially in the bridge, because on almost every single one of these songs, the bridge does not fit the rest of the song to me. And I do think he's a good vocalist. I think he is a nasally vocalist that tries to sound like Scott Stapp. So again, this is one of those bands that I think their longevity got hurt by the fact that they didn't embrace one side of the coin hard enough. They are a little bit new metal, a little bit butt rock, a little bit rap core, a little bit techno rock. They should have just embraced one and went hard on it. Because see, here's what ended up happening. To your point about the 80s hair metal bands, so these guys released this album in 2001, toured a little bit. They did shows with Disturbed, Nickelback, Amen, a few others. And then in 2003, they released their follow-up album called My So-Called Life. And within one month, they were dropped from their record label because this, this thing is a turd. And I have gone back and listened to it several times. I don't hate it. I, I said turd. That was a little rough. I don't hate it. But it doesn't sound like the same band. And it's very clear that they were trying to get away from the new metal moniker. They were trying Whoa, to be What more year did their second album come out? 2003. Which was towards the end of the new metal wave. So exactly. they probably saw that it was time to change. But they didn't change. It's, it's like they changed a little but not enough because it still has like that goofy rapping stuff that I, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain without listening to it, but they are two very different albums. And to your point, the record label dropped them within a month and they all pretty much went back to their day jobs. And I think one or two of them still work within the music industry as far as uh I think I saw somewhere one of them's now like a guitar tech or a bass tech for for a touring band, but no, they just just done. Part of the business that a lot of people don't understand is when you get signed. This isn't always the case, but in most cases, when you get signed to a big label, they give you a loan. Yes, they don't 
they when you sign a contract in and there's a, a million dollars, two million dollars in it, that's usually not a payment. That's a loan. Yes. And they expect you to pay that back. Yes. Now, back in this time, you paid that back through record sales and yes. you know touring revenue and and that kind of thing. Nowadays. I don't know how the hell you pay that back. And I would be scared to get signed to a label and to a deal like that. So basically what would happen is these bands would, they made it. They just signed to a major label. They're going to get distribution across the world. They're going to go on all these tours. So they're like, hell yeah, we got a million dollars. Let's buy a tour bus. Let's buy new instruments. Let's buy, buy, buy. Then they go out on the road. It doesn't go the way they want it to go. Now they owe their record label hundreds of thousands of dollars and don't have any money. <laughs> yeah. So they all go back to working at gas stations and restaurants and grocery stores. And that's the sad reality of it. Yeah. I think it was Jared Leto that said uh, getting a record contract is getting involved with music centered loan sharks. You know, oh, it, mm -hmm. it makes sense to me. And I know back in the day it was, you know, record sales and, that was the big way to pay a uh, a record label back. And I thought it was ridiculous when I was in school for music, when I started looking at music law and started getting into how the, uh, the record contract is written. It was just kind of a standard thing to have packaging fees. And it was, you were paying for the cellophane on it. And the thing about it was, is the record label was breaking down, charging everything. And on one hand, I, I feel like they were, you know, kind of charging everything as a way to like recoup expenses. And so you were really paying back money that really didn't matter. But then, you know, you had artists that were getting mad about it because they were like, well, why am I paying back for cellophane on a CD? I get it. I mean, if I was a musician, I'd probably feel the same, you know, if I had a record contract. But at the same time, it's like, that doesn't matter to me and the creative process. So who gives a shit on if they're going to take money for the cellophane, whatever. Well, and, and two, that was 20, 30 years ago. Right. And physical media was important. And part of a band breaking was your record sales and no one can buy your record if it's not in every music store in America and across the world. But nowadays there's so many ways to get your music out to the masses that doesn't involve any third party that the record labels are, you know, struggling and, you They're know, I mean, sort of a, yeah. And I made sort of a gross generalization. I don't think every record label is bad. No, uh, the band, band I am in currently is signed to a, a national label. They've done nothing but good things for us and taken no money from us. So, you know, I've definitely, that's not across the board. And it's and, the bigger ones, the bigger record labels, you know, your Sony's, your capital. Yeah. yeah. And if you, if you notice most of those labels, they have smaller labels and independent labels yeah. that are usually Sony's got enough to worry about. Whatever their tiny little regional label is, they pretty much do whatever they want. And they, they handle things on a case-by-case -case basis. And, you know, just because you're signed to a subsidiary of one of those giant labels doesn't mean you're getting screwed. And right. there are still pros and cons to being with a major label. So The way I see the big one is, like, they're the manager of a company and the other and the small ones are the workers and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, 
you expect that stuff to be handled at a lower level. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that the, that every record label is bad, not by any means like fat records, uh, fat Mike from no fat label. He, uh, he's, you know, pretty much like, I'll basically give you money for what you need, you know, but you're still going to DIY a good bit of it, which I appreciate because I think that true creativity comes out. And when you're doing DIY. And, and two, you know, with the way the music industry is now, like I said, you know, between Spotify and YouTube and SoundCloud, you have all these avenues to get your music out by yourself. A label's not going to throw money at you until they know you can do it on your own. Yeah. Whereas before it was like development deals, like they were taking chances on rough around the edges bands and they were like, we will pay you to get better because we think you will and we'll recoup our money. It doesn't really work that way anymore. They want you to have a polished product that they can just slap their name on. And, you know, Sony's worrying about how they're going to get money for the sales and CD players they used to have and what they're doing with their PlayStation. But we're not here to talk about the record industry overall. Right. And I say all of that to say that that's what happened to from zero. They released one album with Arista that did decent enough that they released a second one that just crashed and burned. I don't know the numbers, but I can't imagine that the first album sold more than maybe 50, 60,000 copies. I think I then, saw it at one point and cause I had to do a bit of, you know, sure, work sure. on this one. Cause it's not a, it, it's not a big well-known album. So I was quite curious about it. And I think I saw 40,000 albums. That you sounds know, about right. Which is enough for a label one, to go, okay, we'll give you a little bit longer, you know, as pretty yeah. much a placeholder. And I think actually this was the last time we really saw where record labels were grabbing bands that were rough around the edges that needed growth. And I think this is one of the ones that they did that with. It was in this new metal era where they were doing that. And then that pretty much stopped where they were just grabbing people that already were put together and then came along streaming, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, streaming came out. This came out in 2001. Streaming became a big uh, tour de force in uh, what, 2018? 17, 18? Yeah, but even, uh, even back at 2001, 2002, you started to see like the beginnings of yeah. Napster and LimeWire yeah. and stuff. And so that I think is about when it started to change. This next statement, I think, is going to date this episode on when we recorded it. But, you know, I think we are going to see follow up to the strike happening in Hollywood with writers and actors, with, you know, musicians and record labels. But of course, at the same time, it's a lot easier to get your music out there than it is to get a script out there, you know. And, yeah, yeah, so maybe we won't. I don't know. You see music artists, especially the big ones that have just mountains of disposable income, just basically re-recording their own music under their own subsidiaries so they don't have to pay their old management labels. You know, Taylor Swift did this. Other artists are doing it. And we have barely talked about this album. We have. We have. uh, We are roughly 18 minutes into recording and we haven't talked about this album. So let's go ahead and talk about the first track. Smack. Again, again, again. I've been subjected to what you said. You're pissing harder than what you know is right. I joke where you stay. Yes. Okay. So this is where 
when you say boring, it kind of like throws me off because this song starts with this just bombardment of everything. Like there's yes. there's like this crazy drum fill. The the guitar is just wah 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 wah. I mean, it's just like bombastic and all over the place. And then it like kicks into this like slow kind of groove. That I I mean I loved it when I especially in two thousand one when I was a kid in high school like that was I was all about it so for me I think this is I don't think this is a great song I don't think it's the best song on the album or anything but I think it kicks it off in a good way okay so for Smack that ten second that that I think it's like nine <laughs> seconds it's almost uh, like a I, I actually I liked Smack Smack was one of the better ones on this album until one minute, 18 seconds. <laughs> and, you know, so basically Smack was uh, smashing together a couple things. So that like nine, 10 seconds uh, intro, it's almost like a thrash punk, just hard Little smack. Bit, yeah. yeah. And then it goes into like a new metal, just, punch and then it goes into a a melodic heavy groove for one minute 18 seconds and yes i timed it i i watched it <laughs> and then it was like i feel like they do this on a lot of songs on this album it's like they shove in this what's supposed to be the bridge i guess i don't know i had a hard time breaking down like the songs on this but it's like they just shoved in this like awkwardness and that's the thing about a lot of these songs is there's a spot of awkward in pretty much every song and i pretty much i, I stopped putting it in notes and for a lot of songs because it's like just it did how many feel... times can i say the same thing yeah yeah exactly i mean like you said on the issues episode you're not going right. to say that every song has these elements because every song has these elements so right and and I get what you're saying, and I think that that's one of those things that for different people, your mileage may vary. For some people, they're going to feel like, ooh, this section came out of left field. And for other people, I think they'll be like, oh, this is different. It, it took a turn I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And so for me, I like music that kind of jumps all over the place. And to your point, there are a couple of little segments on a few songs that I'm like, I hate to use the word cringe, but makes me go, I don't, I don't. It, it makes it, you it, cringe. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying, but I do like this song. And I think it's, as we've talked about on previous albums, the first song doesn't have to be the best song, but it needs to do something at the very beginning to grab your attention. And then it needs to introduce the elements that you are going to experience throughout the rest of the record. So I will say that this this track does lose me at one minute, 18 seconds, and it comes back at one minute, 56 seconds for almost a <laughs> minute of this song. Of this three minute, 19 second song, I don't I don't want it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost a full minute where I'm like, I don't no, nah, It's not for me. And yeah. and something I will say is. So I did put this album through all of the places that I try to put things through. I got no benefit in headphones. 
at all. Mm, yeah, not really. And I've primarily played it through speakers because when I did put it on when I was cooking, I had to turn it off because the uh, the fiance she said, "What is this?" <laughs> and I said, "This is the album that we're doing this week." And she goes, "Why?" <laughs> and I said. You told me that you wanted me to do a music podcast for a long time, and then I'm doing one now. And she said, "But I'm not. Why am I punished?" That, that's oh, that hurts, man. She's <laughs> she's usually on my side. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. All right. So the next song, check ya. This was the single. Uh, this has the video. And this one, I think, at the time, 2001, it has a little bit more of... He's not really rapping, but it's... It's got a hip-hop flow to his vocals. It does. And I think that's why they released this as the single. Yeah. Because um, it fit into what was happening at the time. Yes. The video did it no favors. I like this song. I like the groove. I like the bounce. I've, I don't, I've said that on every single episode that I like funky, bouncy kind of stuff. So for me, this is a good one. I think I like the vocals throughout. And then in the bridge, like you said, it changes up and he's kind of does more of a rapping, screaming kind of thing. Again, I feel like their downfall was the fact that they didn't just fully embrace this is what we do. And to your point, especially on this one, the bridge, his clean vocals sound great in the verse and the chorus. Just leave it. Just just don't throw in that extra like attempt. Just just keep it clean. So the chorus on this song, I felt like it felt clunky and chunky. It it just it didn't feel right to me. This is a catchy song with a really good main riff, like really good main guitar riff. And, and, and let's let's talk about that for a second. The the riffs on this, the guitar player, I think he is one of the like unsung heroes of the band. Is the guitar work? And I said before, and I'll keep saying it uh, that this band shows that they have talent, but. I feel like they try to be something different. I feel like they try to be other people on almost every song. I didn't get so much Linkin Park because I don't want to assign Linkin Park to every electronic element in a band, but sure, sure. I, I get the the reason that you do that because you need something to identify it with. You know, we we all need something. You know, that's why we put try to put genre names to a lot of the stuff we listen right. to. But this song sounds like they are really trying to emulate Limp Bizkit. And his vocals sound like he's trying to do a better Creed. Now, I do think that the verses are great on this. I think the choruses are good. I don't think they're terrible. But as soon as that bridge kicks in, I'm done. Yeah, the the to me, this is a good song. It's not great, but it's solid. And then the bridge, if they would have done something... I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head. I'd have to think about it. Well, but I so, think there is a better bridge there. Like there's something they could have done that would have been like, 
the the listener after hearing the song once or twice would look forward to the bridge. Whereas as it is, you're kind of rolling with the song. You kind of just wait for the bridge to end to get back to the good parts. <laughs> so something I put in my notes at the beginning is the bridge ruins every song to me. Every like there's not a good bridge in here. The bridge is crumbling and the infrastructure is failing. Yes, I did it. Why? Okay. I need like these guys are one of them working at a hardware store now because they need to get a hammer to build that bridge. Can we go to the next song now, please? No, listeners, you can't see the eye roll I just got, <laughs> but you should. You, I, I'm. I don't know why you couldn't hear it because it was so damn loud. Anyway, I just gave myself a headache. I so my eyes so far back. The bridge on every one of these songs has two things it needs to do: either be cut or completely reworked. Okay. I actually disagree with you on one specific song, and we will get there shortly. All right. So let's move along to that song. I don't know which one it is you're talking about, but let's talk about track three, Ease. Erase. Sorry. Erase. <laughs> you erase the R in the word. I, I did. I, I did. I did. I have a uh, note that says erase under the E's <laughs> in my notes here. So, all right. Anyway, I don't know why I edited that, but erase. Funny. Yeah. Can we erase? I, can we erase this song? Absolutely not. I love this song. I love this song. The bounce and the groove are just funky as hell. And the fact that his vocal, it's not rapping, it's not screaming, it's clean, but it's not... At this time, if you were doing a, a new metal kind of sound and you had clean, quote-unquote, vocals, you usually had like that Chino Marino kind of like processed, whispery thing going on. Mm-hmm. Somehow Jet in this song manages to be kind of funky without rapping, clean without sounding silly. I love this song. I think this song is is killer. And I think this is, again, trying to get to the nuances of genre tags. This is almost what hurts them because this isn't heavy enough to be new metal, but it's too bouncy and funky to be butt rock Nickelback, you know? So where do you put it? For fans of 311 and Red Hot Chili Peppers and Deftones and Slipknot, this works. This is totally in my wheelhouse. But I get that it does not work for everybody. So, I mean, Covington Cambria is too prog for emo and too emo for prog. And, you know, yeah, they, and but I don't like it very much. <laughs> I do. <laughs> no, but okay. So I will say that the intro of this song is groovy and it's heavy. I mean, it's just, it's a good, good intro. And then after that, it becomes a, I don't know, how do we say, shitty taproot? Yeah. And taproot is almost a shitty taproot. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> and then at 147, now, this song becomes a mud hole of snare and unclean vocals. No. Oh, 
I agree. I agree. I agree with that too. But what I will say, and, and this, you know, one of the big reasons I've, I've given several reasons why I don't think this was more popular, but another reason is sonically and chord progression wise, when you want to create a heavy emotional feel, you usually go down. You, you have like a chord progression that walks backwards. But these guys don't like to do that. They, they like to stay up in a bright register. If you notice, even when they're heavy, it's not detuned. Right. It's pretty I much. Did no. So at the end of the choruses on this song, he, he says that, give me back my life, erase me. And then the music goes, da 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 And it sounds like a superhero intro. Yeah. Which, if you want to headbang and push your neighbor you don't like that. Like you, that can be a little bit silly, <laughs> yeah. but, but then what hurts it is then to your point, they try to go into this really heavy bridge where he starts screaming and it's like, you, you just did a Superman theme. Don't start trying to be scary now. Like, you know, and so I get that. I, I understand where you're coming from, but as a whole, I really do like this song. He does not need to scream. He should just stop trying to scream. It's and, not where and, his vocals are the no, strongest. I agree. And and if you listen, every time he does scream, you can hear the the filters and processing on it. There's a lot of guys in this genre and other genres that can scream really well, and they just add a little bit of texture to it when they do it. This guy sounds more like he's not very good at it, and they're throwing all this shit on top of it to make it sound better. And uh, it comes across as forced. I agree with you. Which that's something that I kind of felt like happened in multiple places on this album with different things. Because like we were saying at the beginning, these guys are talented. But they have not honed their chops completely. And so I feel like the production is really what saved this album and made this album decent at best. If it wasn't for production, these guys would not have put out a, a a cohesive album. You know, I feel like they put a lot of effects and a lot of, you know, tweaking and stuff on every part of this band. And I think that is one of the things that took me out of it was that I could hear the band was not as good as the production made them be. I can hear that. I can hear that. And now, I like a band that I know is good at its core. So this sounds like Arista probably signed them to some form of a development deal and probably did work with them in the studio to try to get them tight. Because if you listen to these songs, there's a frenetic sloppiness to them that they obviously probably sat down and really tightened up. You know, they probably live. They're a little bit off the cuff. They're a little bit sloppy. You don't care. It's high energy. You're having yeah, a good time. I feel like but live, they're probably fairly decent. I've seen some clips, and and I get the impression that Jet, for as goofy as he looks in a cleaned up, high polished music video, on stage is probably very striking. And he was very, you know, I haven't seen a lot, but a couple clips on YouTube, he seems to engage with the crowd a lot. And yeah, like this, this seems to be. I have an assumption that I'm correct. These were probably a really, really popular local band. Yes. And that they got their deal based on that. And they just were never able to escape being a local really band. Super talented 
local band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's actually something that I I have in my closing statement is that they are a local garage band that just happened to get a deal. And I do want to talk about the look a little bit more because within looking up stuff about him, it was unavoidable to you know come yeah. across pictures of him. And he comes across to me as the Wayne Static of their group. The rest of the group look like normal guys. He does not. Yes, exactly. And and that can work. You know, I can. West Borland and Limp Biscuit. Uh, you know, like you said, Wayne Static. He's very visually. You know, can't miss him. Yeah, um, and I was just I, I picked Wayne Static because he's the front man or was the yeah. front man of that group. And yeah. But the problem is, is the music is not. It's not a one to one. Like when you see a guy that looks like that, I'll give you a great example. David Draymond from Disturbed. Yes. When they first came out and he had the weird little things on he his the, chin. He had the two uneven lip piercings that cupped around his chin and yeah. one was shorter than the other. And right. I always felt it very awkward, but go on. But when they first started, they would roll him out at like Hannibal Lecter style, like on a, like on a gurney with in a straight jacket and a mask and stuff. And it was very theatrical, but they were called disturbed. Yeah. They had songs about his mom beating his ass. I mean, their main, had, their main single had like a, a snippet of him crying. And yes. So these guys were wacky and that's, and, and that's really the, the problem here is from zero never got wacky enough or jet needed to comb his hair back, wear nicer fitting clothes and take it more seriously. I think that I don't even think combing his hair. I just think um, having less metal on his face would have helped. I mean, I have nothing against piercings, but at a certain point, man, when you have more piercings than strings on guitars combined, you know, you need to pull it back. But go on. So, so moving, moving through this record. All right. So, track four, the other side. Don't try. Just leave it. It's all bitter change. Can we stay the same, man? This is the one where I disagree with you on the bridge part because to me, this is a really powerful song lyrically. Musically, it doesn't get serious enough, I think, to be like, again, I'm bringing up Linkin Park here. This, to me, is From Zero's version of a song like Crawling or Numb. But where those songs are sonically lower and use minor keys, this uses those bigger, brighter sounds again. Mm -hmm. I like it. I think it flows nicely. I think the bridge changes it up in a positive way this time. But again, I don't think this is the big ballad that those songs are because it's in the wrong key, I guess. So I have two notes on this song. Is this a new metal creed? That's what this song comes across to me. I, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. And that. that scream makes my butthole pucker. <laughs> I, oh man. And, and here's the thing too. We've, we've talked about this before. You can't recreate nostalgia. Yeah. You can't make someone feel what you felt 
20 years ago. Right. It's, it's impossible. So I think being an adult hearing some of this now, I would agree with you. When I heard this at, let's see, 2001, uh, I would have been like 15. Yeah. No, that sounded emotional and painful and, you know, whatever. So this song works for me, but I hear all the reasons why it would not work for everybody. And I I can get behind what you're getting at because at, you know, 14, 15 years old, there were certain things I listened to and I was like, yeah, this is this is it, man. And I listen to it now at almost 40 and I'm like, no, that's that's not it. That's not right. it at all. So, you know, I, I get that. And, you know, to each his own. So so the next track, Circumstances. like the vibe on this one because even though the drums are in 4-4 four, four, because of the way the riff is played it's kind of busy and the verses almost have this like swing to them and I think that was smart coming after a pretty heavy song lyrically I, we didn't really touch on this but the other side is basically talking about someone committing suicide yep. and so then coming into a song that has a little bit more of a upbeat funky vibe to it I think was a smart move not one of my favorites but I, I like this one this song didn't stand out to me it flies by yeah. it's forgettable it is one of those you're still on uh, songs for me yeah. there's a couple of those on this album it's almost a thought of a decent song yeah and I will say we talk about this all the time track listing you know this is a real front heavy album back heavy album whatever I will say for me the middle section of this album has some moments, but overall is not the best of what they have to offer. And and so coming out of circumstances, track six, Jeer. You can't accept the fact that how we say the wrong is you. I raise the question of your full integrity. You're always crying like a little fucking sissy. If you can step up, turn your book a fucking Uh this was a pretty popular thing to do back in this day. You write a song about how badass you are and how no one can take you in a, I don't know if we're talking about a fight, a battle of the bands. Like a, that's never really clear on these kind of songs. Yep. Sounds really strange coming out of this band because up until this point, you've been given no reason to think that they're this way. But the chorus is great. Like uh, the verses are weird and he kind of meanders threats throughout and I'm kind of not feeling it. But I think the chord progression and the vocal melody in the chorus is solid, real solid. This song was a slow grind. I had to work to get through this one. This was the worst song on the album to me. That's fair. Yep. Uh, his screams are just horrible. They're bad. He should not do them. And this song is just simply not good in my opinion. The lyrics really hurt it. I think that if he would have switched up the melody and didn't try to sound like menacing and throwing out threats, like this was just a, a song about a relationship or about something else, I think it would have had potential to be decent. But the vocal delivery in the verses really hurt it. 
The lyrics aren't doing it any favors. I do like the chorus, but it's it's not the kind of song like this is one that I can skip and be okay with. But if it's on, I at least enjoy the chorus. Do you like the chorus because you actually like the chorus or do you like the chorus because it's the best part of the song? No, I think I think that chorus in a better song would okay. be a really good song. Okay. Um, I just think that the verses and the chorus don't mesh. No. They they almost sound like two different songs. I don't hate it like as a whole, but it's definitely one of my least favorite on the record as well. Yeah. So let's talk about track seven, horrors. <laughs> get into a little bit of cold scooter ward pronunciation problems <laughs> Hor horrors yeah Hor um, horrors horrors yeah so this is uh, a bit more of a hip-hop influenced song in his uh sprung monkey verses they yep. are 11 and all over the place <laughs> and if the last couple tracks made you check out, this one gets your attention again because of his sprung monkey pronunciations. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, like all I could hear when I heard this song, I was like, this sounds like Mr. Funny Face. This, this is their, this is a sprung monkey album. Number two, we'll call him up later to see what kind of trouble we could get into. What trouble we could get into. What trouble we could get into. What trouble we like it, it would people, fit into other bands easily. For people that have no idea what we're what we're alluding to, the go listen the song, to Sprung Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> the, the name of the song is Horrors, like horror movie with an S. Yes, but, multiple horror. Yes, but the hook he says we're all just horrors. <laughs> so is he saying whores? Is he saying horrors? I. No one knows. I yeah. don't know that he knows. Yeah. But I like this song. I think the verse, the the vocal thing he has on his uh on his voice on the first verse almost makes me check out, but I like the groove and and have fun with this song. But yeah, the the first verse, he's very like on the band, on the band, on the band, it's almost yeah. like Primus or something for a minute. Right. But this one's again, it's fun and weird. And I think if they embraced more of this, especially with the way Jet looked, it might have worked. But because this is the one song like this, yeah, it, it just is what it is. And it stuck out to me because it is the one song that's like this. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I think you're right. If they did more things like this, they probably would have been more successful because this was mm -hmm. the most fun song on the album. The rest of the the rest of the album. It's a slog. It's hard. It, it's it's rough. And I know you think about this album differently than I do. And the thing about it was the verses were the most fun part of this song. But yeah, yeah I, the, I could, I'm good without it in my life forever. Well, and, and and to your point, the next song, Tomorrow's Light. I see the light. I trail the light. I know the light. Can you this is one that I honestly just kept forgetting was even on this album mm -hmm. because 
I really like horrors and I really like the song that comes after tomorrow's light. So this one is always like, what is, what is this one? Like, why is this one here? Get, get to the next one. <laughs> yeah. So this one, it's got a fun riff with it and his vocals are good, but you could tell he's completely restricted, but you can tell he's got range here. And this is one where his vocals really come through where you can see that he has a talent, but I feel like he wants to be different talent than he is instead of just leaning yeah. into it. And that's what I felt like tomorrow's light really showed me is he wants to be something different. I think he wants to be a Scott staff, Wayne static, just judging from his appearance and the way he interacts on stage, I get the impression that he would have been very happy reaching that level of Scott Stapp, David Draymond, huge, yeah. larger than life front man. And anybody, any front man of a band, you know, that makes it somewhat wants to be that level, period. But he um, wanted to be that level with that kind of uh, aesthetic. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I agree. Like, I feel like his vocals and his appearance just don't sync up. And it, it it's not so bad when you're just listening to it. But when you're watching, like, uh, again, that music video, you got to watch that music video. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to <laughs> just out of curiosity. But now, number nine, Suffering. To me, this is the best song on the album. Tasting a bit of a To me, this was another one that was easily forgettable. Okay. I did like the snare and the drums and how they were all over the place during this. But outside of that, it didn't really grab me. I, I just so kind of forgot about it. So this one starts with a very, one of those like staccato Iron Maiden kind of guitar riffs. And then it kicks into more of a rap rock groovy beat. So my first thought was... This sounds kind of familiar. It's kind of a hyped up version of Last Resort by Papa Roach. Yep. Which came out a year before this and was a huge hit. Mm -hmm. I honestly feel like if they would have led with this, it would have hearkened back to that and people might have responded to it better. The chorus is big, it's catchy. The guitar riffs are cool. The, the vocal delivery on the verses is neat. Again, I don't think the bridge is great. Nope. <laughs> Probably the weak part of the song. I agree. But the verses and choruses on this one and just the, the melodic interludes between this is a strong song, and I, I can't help but wonder, why is this buried on track nine? Why is this so far back? And again, I would have led with this. I would have looked at the climate around me, said, hey, look, other bands have recently got big with this sort of sound. Let's throw this one out there and see what happens. So this is an album that you feel like the track listing was really hurt by, that you feel like it was really hurt by the track listing. Like, I think the first couple songs are probably my favorite part of the record. And then the middle section kind of wanes. And then you've got this 
like diamond in the rough back here that I think should have been higher up. I don't know exactly the track order that I would put him in because there is some filler in my opinion, but I do think this could have easily been track two, track three, move this up, make it a single. I, I just, I think this is one of the best songs and it's by, for a lot of people by track four or five or six, you're probably checking out. And if this is up in the front, maybe you stick around a little longer. I don't know. And maybe I would have felt different about this one had it been earlier in the album because I was checking out at that and, point. And we've we've talked about that on other records and we'll talk about it on future records. Yeah. There are certain times where a song probably hits different if it's not sandwiched between other things that cloud our judgment and, and color our opinion. So I think this is a really, really good song. And if you actually heard it out of context, just heard this song, I think you might like it better than sandwiched in between two kind of meh songs. Well, I mean, it's sandwiched between Tomorrow's Light, which is very meh, and then it's uh, after it is track 10, Undeniable. Don't you come around me, it's like planning suicide. Everyone's will never be the same. Oh, I guess it's seven times now, no more hanging for the ride. All the shit I went through when we parted. Which is another one for me that moves by the guitar noodling and the quote unquote screaming are a yeah. distraction and the vocals are a jumbled mess. And so it's sandwiched between two very unimpressive songs overall. This one just goes by. It's easily forgettable. Didn't mean a whole lot. And then you get to the album closer. Gone. Hey, I'm telling you that I'm as good as can we talk just one last time. I'm finding out it's hard to believe. So many times you've crossed my Now, I like this one a lot. It has a very similar vibe to the other side. And what's interesting is you could be mistaken for thinking this song is called The Other Side because he actually says the line, The Other Side, right. a couple of times. I don't think it's as good as The Other Side, but I do like that they complement each other and you've got one that's near the front half and then one at the back half. I think that was a, a neat idea get a little bit of an incubus vibe from some of the guitar work. I I would have switched these two. I would have put gone higher up and then ended the album with the other side. Personally. I actually think to, you know, we've got track four, the horror side, then track five circumstances and then track six gear. I would have taken gear off and put gone in gears place and actually just closed the album with undeniable, you know, because Gone shows the melodic side, but this is a terrible closer for this album. It's too slow of a closer. His vocals are not terrible here, but that snare is. I hate the snare on this song. It's hollow in the verse, and mm -hmm. it actually changes between the verse and the chorus. I, I I don't like it. It just it didn't feel right to me. It felt yucky. Uh, I got you. I th I think the verses on this one are really good. I like the verses. Yeah. I don't, um, I, don't, I didn't have a problem with, with the verses on this at all. And I can't describe this either. Just like I, I never noticed the snare thing. I'll go back and listen for that. The guitar on the chorus, there, there's something going on with the, the guitar and the vocals that 
kind of clash for me that I, I like the verses a lot and that kind of saves the song. I don't think this is a great song, but I think it's pretty good. And I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm cool with ending on a, on a note like this as opposed to something more upbeat. I don't know. We talked about the past that the opener should, you know, set you up for what you're about to get to. And the closer should kind of round out what you just went through. And I don't feel like this really rounded out. I felt like this was a strong track for this album that just kind of made you go, can have more of that. Yeah. And, and I think the fact that there's only two of these kind of songs and they are very similar musically, lyrically, thematically, you had to keep them as far away as possible. And you don't want to put something like this in your first two or three songs. You want to let the album get rolling before you throw in a ballad. If you're only going to have two like this, you got to keep them. Yep. You got to keep them separated. Yep. But I, I think, honestly, you take out something like Jeer or Undeniable and you write a third song that is in this same kind of vein. And now you've got one at track four, one at track seven, and one at track 10. And you end your album with something that rocks a little harder. Yeah. And I think... Write a song, guys. It's not that hard. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you wrote 11. You can write 12. <laughs> what a profound statement. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they wrote another 10 or 11 for the next album. Right. And um, I'm glad none of those are here. So anyway, yeah. would you like to give us some uh, kind of closing thoughts here? Sure. From Zero was a new metal band with a good producer and a short lifespan. They look like Cold Chamber shops at Goodwill. In fact, this sounds like the thrift store new metal. One Nation okay. Under... You got to give me a minute. Hold on. Let me breathe. Oh, that's fantastic. That was a beautiful analogy. I love it. Okay, please continue. This sounds like the thrift store new metal. One Nation Under was an obvious, was an obvious ambitious reach, but it definitely came across as a local garage band that wasn't told no. Five guys that listened to bands that they became the opening act for. Snot, Nothing Face, Nickelback, and Disturbed. The influences of these bands is unmistakable with a strong listening rotation of Corn and Limp Biscuit while recording in Creed on the drive home. Most songs have something, but hardly any song has everything. They obviously have talent, but they try too hard to be something else and do not break the mold that was cast by other better bands. This album, I gave it a four. Okay, that's fair. That's that's okay. Thrift store of new metal. I love it. <laughs> I love it. God, I love it. Okay. And that's, and, and just, you know, for our audience sake, just so we know, I shopped at the thrift store of new metal a lot. So just get ready. There'll be a few more coming up. And now don't <laughs> get me wrong. I have nothing against thrift stores at all. I've been in my I'll fair share of thrift stores. <laughs> my goal is to pull out one of these C tier, D tier new metal bands that makes you go, you know what? That wasn't bad. We and, haven't found it yet, but we'll find it. And I'm all for it. I mean, I haven't given... Everything that you brought me a low rating. Uh, I haven't, you know, given everything I've brought forward a, a high rating. Well, four is higher than I expected, so I'll take it. Yeah, I don't have a gym like the thrift store of new metal, <laughs> but our all very similar closing statements here. Right. Um, from Zero borrows heavily from their contemporaries in the genre. The bouncy rhythms, the heavy guitars, all lend themselves nicely to what was popular at the time. 
However, what sets From Zero apart from most of these bands from that scene is their vocal harmonies and willingness to embrace their pop sensibilities. Borrowing heavily from bands like Korn and Limp Bizkit, but also incorporating elements of funk and synth, all while trying to write catchy hooks and melodies that get stuck in your head, and still trying to steer away from the cliches of rapping and tough guy lyrics. Their image was a bit extreme, and I think that may have hurt them from breaking into the mainstream, but there is a uniqueness to this band on this record that I think deserves to be revisited for fans of heavy music. While not perfect, I feel like these guys were every bit as good, if not better, than a lot of the bands that overshadowed them at the time. If you like bouncy, heavy, rock, and new metal, this might be an undiscovered gem. But if you were never really into this style of music, this probably isn't going to be enough to pull you in. For me, always looking for that B-tier, C-tier, diamond in the rough, I give it a six. All right, a six. Okay, and I'll be honest with you, the uh, reason why I gave it a four is because I gave Sugar Ray a 3.5, and I feel like this <laughs> album is a little better than Sugar Ray. Than I think this musicianship-wise is better than Sugar Ray, but I have a lot more fun listening to Sugar Ray than I do from Zero. <laughs> well, it's interesting that we're uh, comparing it to Sugar Ray because it hit the same the same average. It's tied with Sugar uh, okay. Ray at five, and that puts it right below Jim Class Heroes and right above Limp Biscuits. Results may vary. That's so funny. This this list is out of control. I love it. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's a good thing. So, all right, Monster. What album are we talking about next week? So next week, we are talking about Taking Back Sunday's album, Where, Where You, you Want to be. be. Yes, their second album. Yeah. So uh, this will be our full, our first full-on emo album. Like, just head Yay. on. Yay. <laughs> That's how uh, enthusiastic you have to be about an emo record. <laughs> no, no. That was a lot of great emo stuff. I just meant because it's emo. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I did turn the lights on when I listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> I only cried a little. <laughs> so, well, thank you guys for joining us for another toasty episode. Have a great day. Bye.